from doing whatever the hell that they wanted, right? So it stopped that kind of, you know, that, huh? The football and the football incident uh, in the UK when these billionaires wanted to create their own club and then pro- people protested. So perhaps that's like the clearest uh, example of like protest stopping something or being the cause. But yeah, I think, you know, finding one thing causing to that, there I agree. But for instance, I mean, I guess, I mean, I'm not even, I don't know about this story too much, but is it not true that the journalist put out some of the information out there, right? That that then led to um, to the case and everything being down. So like the journalists uh, uh, did well, play a role. Now, whether that is blown out of proportion, I wait, wait. perhaps agree. I'll go ahead. Wait, the fun... The funniest part of Watergate is that the deep throat, the person who uh, uh, was feeding them information was basically, was he the deputy? He was the deputy, uh, I, I forget, I want to say CIA, but I'm not sure if it was CIA or FBI right now. Deep throat, uh, let me just check. Howard, uh, Howard, so, like the, the, the um, so Deep Throat is a pseudonym called uh, Associated Director of FBI. So he was the Associated Director of FBI. So the idea that, for example, these like they, the journalists will basically just as they always are, they were just tools in the internal gameplay of the, you know, established uh, authorities, deep state. I don't know the elite, whatever you want to call them. The idea that they were anything but that. The idea that they were like, you know, uncovered something that, you know, the all the powers that we didn't want them to uncover. It's, yeah, it's well, joke. some powers didn't want. I mean, yeah, you can be yes, aligned with just yeah. I just feel like you try to take too much of a black and white approach to the impact of like journalism or protest. And you know, and you just take it protest, you take it must... you just take it too far to the other side i find like no because you just I... you just say okay some people say journalism is the greatest thing ever in the history of mankind and it was so good before too and it changed this and changed that so you know i i don't believe these kind of stories that anybody says about any kind of profession but i feel like you take it way too far to the other side and just because you're reacting to this perhaps blown up version you just try to take it so to the other side and just say like compare it and just say like it's nothing and it's just the most uh, useless crappy thing and of everything there's all kinds of examples and all kinds of levels of influence and importance and you know if you're looking for things to cause something and to change something there is just very little of that anywhere in the world so i just think you take you you're reacting to that unfair depiction which i agree but i think you just take it too far although i'm not disagreeing with a lot of things of the example you're saying i'm basing more of my judgment based on talking to you <laughs> for a long time and also during this podcast over a year or two i just think you take it a bit you a bit too unfair if you were asking me I, I kind of agree with that, but I would say, <laughs> I would say, no, I agree with that. I'm probably exaggerating. But I would say, I genuinely believe personally, media and journalism and newspapers uh, play little to zero, like even less than zero, probably, role in any, like protests and strikes are a different debate. I'm happy to debate that. But journalism and media, they play nothing because they're a reflection. You can't be, it's like it's like mixing a symptom with the cause or something. It's it's like all the like 
people who, uh, for example, even cover Syria in a good way, how can they access this like places? Because Bashar Assad regime allows them. What about the other side? Because the Americans allows them. They are always controlled by the powers that be. They can never, they are mm-hmm. never uncovering anything. There is all, they're always being fed information. They I work mean, in an environment and I don't understand. So what if they're fed information, right? So let's take the Edward Snowden no. one, right? Like let's take so the Edward Snowden. They're always, you know, wait, they're always acting according to somebody else's plan. They're always part of somebody else's plan. So they, there is no... Uh, originality there is no uh, everything they, they and everyone is cause part of, of anything they are the symptom the... they are the symptom no, uh, no I don't know like about the whole March symptom felt. Well, no, but they're just the symptom they never really like for example politicians want a story to get out there they use journalists that's it but sometimes they don't want to get a story get, or to get out or another politician doesn't want the story to get out That's and the this thing. Get, but you can't go about that. Like what you say and do will always like help out someone. You're, you're not operating in a vacuum. You're operating in an environment. And of course, journalists famously, they rely on others a lot of time to get the information. So like, yeah, Edward Snowden gave the information to, to Glenn Greenwald. Oh, and, don't he came, start and he came out with that. And, you know, that didn't lead. Of course, that I mean, it's still going on, right? The American yeah, government and others. Or, no, or no, still taking uh, information. You don't know if it led was, to absolutely nothing. I'm But sorry, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just finish. Well, I just I brought up this example because I know that this is like an example that that you like to give, right? I understand that it didn't stop. Uh, it didn't stop um, surveillance, right? I'm pretty sure the American government most likely is doing the same, perhaps more. But I mean, you don't know that perhaps they're not doing more or perhaps some kinds of surveillance and stuff. Now they're more worried because, you know, it could it could come out again. So you don't know if it didn't prevent more to happen. But I do agree that this example, you know, saying that it changed the world, it changed the world in the sense that although a lot of people knew that this was going on, it gave them more concrete information. And a lot of people believed it more for the first time. And that in itself is something right. So maybe people having more information doesn't lead to change. But that in itself is something. And you never know that it didn't prevent from more of that to happen. If you take any example, whether it's the Edward Snowden one or another one. Uh, no, I, I would. Sure, but you can judge its effect. And the, I mean, the idea that Edward Snowden, like, oh, people didn't know about NSA. Again, I, I'd say this to you like five times. In Goodwill Hunting, in like 1996, they were talking about the same shit. This, I'm sorry, but the no. fact that not every idiot knows about NSA, now they know. What changed? What changed since everybody knows about NSA? What was the same? Did any politician lose their job over the fact that they, John, what was it, the But, CIA guy, John Brennan, was it him that who went like a week before the Snowden thing, he's saying that, no, we don't surveil. And then a week later, obviously, they, I mean, but like, of course, But what else would But they a do? lot of times people do lose their jobs and that's one impact. But a lot of times like politicians will lose their jobs or like others will lose their jobs through things no, coming out all, in the I'm media. Sorry. No, yeah. no. They always, no, no. They don't lose their yeah. jobs over a stock trading or anything. But if they had sex with some uh, whore in Las Vegas, they lose their job. Who gives no, a shit? With other sorry, stuff, gives... with other stuff like too, what? they do. Like I mean, what? of course it happens. I mean, you give just me have examples. to... Give um, I mean, if I'm going to give an example of the most 
like impactful one. I mean, Glenn says, and then again, I don't think it's just Glenn's work that led to um, Lula coming out of jail um, and perhaps, and then him being able to run again for president. I think it was Glenn's work and other journalists' works mixed with other stuff. So sometimes it can't even have it. such a big impact as that. I think it was, it was Lula's connection and his party's connection with the estate uh, oil uh, producing company had far more to do with that. I'll, you Look, you have these structures, then these structures allow some space, space for certain type of journalists to operate. It's not the other way around. It's not these journalists creating a space for themselves or anything. You have these organizations, you have a certain elite that then, for example, in Brazil, Lula represents a segment of elite. The el- not the elite that Bolsonaro yeah. or the Americans support, but a different type of elite. Right? But again, of course, you operate in an environment. So, I mean, so I don't get I'm that. Sa- yeah, your so interest will, I'm saying. That's will all go I'm saying. with some people. So, yeah, I think your so response is just too much of a reaction to an extremely rosy, too powerful depiction um, of journalism. I'm just no. I, I still and don't think get me wrong. Right like a lot extent. of journalists, literally, what they do is reprint literally Majority. what comes out from like a, a politician's mouth. I mean, one of this is like uh, when I used to work by, back in the day. I, there was like this place we were going. They would have press conferences, and these journalists, all they would do is literally ask a question. Like one of them would ask a question, they would all just write down what the person said as if it's a press release and put that out. So I mean, and you know. I'm sure Glenn would also say that's like crappy journalism. And that's the most part of journalism, just literally reporting what a power is saying. So I understand there's like a lot to it. I just think you you take it too far and you expect no, too no. much out of it. No, because you keep saying I take it too far because you think they're like, OK, I'm not arguing journalism is bad or it shouldn't be done or the people who are doing it are what they do is uh, not important or well I kind of am in saying that but my point is look things have diff- there are different levels of importance right mm-hmm. and the fact the, poly- the structure that allows certain level certain journalists to operate that's the main thing journalism itself the activity of journalism the fact that you publish certain facts about somebody has no, no effect whatsoever public opinion does not matter whatsoever and it's manipulated by the elite very 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 easily therefore it does not it's really manipulated matter at all. it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter at all of course it matters public opinion if it, not if liking hillary clinton no, no, wait, because if, of x if, y and z led to her not becoming um, the the president of the United States. So public opinion does matter, not to the extent, and, and it is not. I'm sorry, what is what would have happened? What would be different if she was president, not Trump? It would be a different person. I mean, I know the world is complex. You're, you're looking. I mean, no, no. What do you think? With what do you think? I was going to say that then everything will be perfect and rosy. You know, I don't think that. You know, I don't think that the world's problems are going to get solved. That's not a thing. World's problems are never going to get problem. solved. It's always going to continue. World's problem, man. It's about like, do you think no, but you just said public Bernie opinion Sanders. doesn't have a ma- Do you think there is, yeah, it doesn't. Do you think there's a difference between Bernie Sanders and Trump? Yes. Do you think there's a difference between Hillary and Trump? There are some differences. There are some differences, well, not too many, really. but there are. But anyway, people, their opinions matter in that 
to a limited extent and they are shaped of course they're shaped from everything okay, that, that comes from you know whatever you want to say politicians or media although i feel like if you say media that kind of counters the point that you were you were making sorry what Shaped? if you say what? because you're saying that the people's opinions are shaped right and it doesn't matter so i'm saying if you would say that their opinions are shaped by the media to an extent at least that would kind of counterproof counteract to like you know what, what the main argument that you're making that journalism or media doesn't matter at all because at the very no, least no, in I, some I, places I, it's used as a vehicle you could say by others no, no, no. to shape people's influence i think to be honest even the elite are idiots for wasting their time with shaping the uh, views of the masses because to be honest if you just don't i don't think it would make any difference either like they're too yeah. fragmented and too on yeah it's just yeah who cares i mean i think I elites are in, in fact elites are is stupider than most people so they they waste their time by trying to shape like you know they tried i mean i'm pretty sure if you just abolish washington post and new york times and spend the same money just bribing people to vote for democratic party you probably have a more successful operation well, going yeah, on yeah i don't know who would times, disagree so. with that I mean, you know, no, I'm just, know. yeah, but they're idiots. Yeah, but, they spend you're, you're, their, but they spend their money to manufacture consent and all that shit because they have nothing better to do. So I don't think, yeah, elites spend their money and time shaping opinion. They do it, in my view, for no reason whatsoever. They're wrong in thinking it matters. No, I mean, things can come out and things can, you know, change it. And then, yeah, you can, like, you know, uh, not become president and lose the presidency to somebody else. So, and for like, instance, like, yeah, for instance, the Iraq war, right? I wouldn't yeah. say it's journalism that brought it to an end, right? <laughs> I wouldn't say anything like that, right? Yeah. Huh? But, I, yeah, but like, you sure. know, those pieces of information that came out, it did help to like solidify people, a lot of people's opinion and shapes, whether it was so the WikiLeaks stuff. So I'm just saying I, there is some impact for people understanding and all these things give together and move like, move life along so i'm just saying journalism and what they do is just one piece of the puzzle and i think i find myself more to the two extents of the of the argument because i do agree with you i think glenn takes the impact too far right the impact of journalism i think that he says it goes too far and then another thing he does in that video i mean that this is different but in that video he just points out like some of the better and like let's say even um, best like works of journalism and then compares that to Taylor Lawrence and then it says do you think that's journalism well yeah it's just a shitty version of what you had done there so um, there I agree with him but yeah I do think he takes it too far I mean I guess I'm just repeating I, I, myself now a bit I'm just saying that I don't think journalism or shaping a popular opinion either of them matters uh, really I think it matters I, to an so. extent and also, how much can you shape and whether you can shape it and you can't and people's opinions are shaped I, not by what they see in the media, by a whole host of things and including some in the media. Like, you know, I, I know um, family members and stuff who live in different countries than where they are. So what they tell me, they literally got it from the media. It can't be anywhere else. So that information changed the way that no, they're but, thinking. But... I'm not saying that had an impact on society. I'm just saying in that anecdotal um, evidence uh, in that anecdotal example, I can see how the media influenced how they thought about something. Actually, I'm not talking. I'm not arguing at the personal level. At the personal level, I very much enjoy having uh, journalism uncovering this and that and that, and I read about it. 
But at the societal level, I don't think, no, I really don't think a journalism or popular opinion, even if shaped by journalism, which I don't think it's possible or uh, anything, I don't think it has any effect. I mean, uh, how many times have people protested for uh, climate change? Take, I mean, that's the thing. Popular opinion is, co- I mean, if... It, but, you know, in India, we covered this. Wait, wait. Wait, wait. In India, farmers went and blocked the city's entrance, man. They didn't yeah. have opinions. When no, talk but about you just said protest. You just said that. You know, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, did, did anybody for Iraq war went and blocked people going to the Congress? Did they do any of that? That's, I'm sorry, but that's a different story. We can talk about protests and strikes, and I have my views on those as well. But this is even less, this is nothing. They don't do anything. They, they, they yes. I mean, it's what we do. It's literally what we do. And they mm. pretend as if, oh, because we call to people. It's like, oh, we are forming, a, like, yeah. same with the lips of TikTok bullshit. Like, she's not forming shit. She's just, uh, she's, she's knows where the market is going or somehow unconsciously she knows where the market is going and she's hooked her right to that. That's the same with all the journalists. This idea, oh, we are... Um, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I mean, like, you know, I kind of agree with, with what you're saying. I just think it's, it's not that they're nothing. I would just put them on other level of many other stakeholders and their no, impact, no, I'm even sorry, when they it, try to no, be, no. is sometimes a little, sometimes is not. And, and, and a lot of the time, they're just, let, let's not get it twisted. I mean, most people agree this. Journalists for the mainstream media are... I mean, of course, they're just promoting the status quo and just <laughs> well, their job is to not let anything change whatsoever, right? But everything still has a little bit of an impact. Still things change. Sure, okay. Opinions no, no, change. No, no, After wait, a while, wait, you wait, can't wait, wait, wait. do something. No, no, but so, whether it's going to throw no, away wait. the capitalist system or overhaul it or anything I'm like that. Yeah, that I don't away, agree. No, I'm not saying throw away the capitalist system, but cause some fucking change in the society. You could argue any Hollywood movie is far more, has far more influence on society than any work of journalism has had in the last 20 years. If you're just counting influence by some asshole in the street saying, oh, I think like that, that's not influence. Actually changing policies influence. If you're saying, oh, influence is just somebody thinking something, okay, yeah, journalism is very powerful. But even even if the like, policy oh, change, you will just say, but even if the policy change, your response will be like, well, there are parts of the elite that wanted that policy to change. But yeah, like, you should establish yeah, yeah, causality. Sure. Yeah, like, yeah, sure. Esta- and you can't uh, establish can causality establish- for these kind of things. Man, like, it, it establishing... <laughs> yeah, in your head to take that. Establishing causality for most of these things are impossible and that's why there no, there are very I, few I'm studies sorry. that even I attempt am, no, no, to no, do no, such wait, a thing wait, wait, like wait, you took no, the glenn greenwald wait, example wait, that wait, i gave wait, about brazil wait. and you said well it just helps this other elite and stuff well yeah of course he, he, you know nobody's yeah, claiming because, otherwise everything because, you do will fall into some people's laps but maybe most people argue yeah, that the lula elites are are better or better it's better to have lula in power no matter who is influenced with Dan Bolsonaro, for example, although the I'm not saying that the difference will be dramatic, you know, because there are other forces in society preventing things from happening, whichever way that is. No way. I don't understand what is your problem with my Lula analysis. 
Is that the Lula one? You're like, yeah, sure. Um, Glenn Greenwald's thing might have had an impact or stuff, but it was because it it, it suited like these other, you know, these other um, Which elites. One? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you believe, truly do you believe, if Glenn Greenwald did the same uh, sort of job, if he was even allowed to do the same level of journalism without having a significant part of Brazilian elite backing Lula, uh, Lula would have uh, gotten out of jail. No, it doesn't work on everyone. That's not what I'm saying. If I just get up right now and write an article about someone in prison, that person is no, not going to come one, out of prison. No, no, wait, that's wait, not, wait, wait, wait. That's wait, not wait, what I'm wait, saying. Wait, wait. So again, here I think you're being unfair. No, no, but this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. It's like saying somebody who has smoked for 40 years and they got, got lung cancer saying, well, not watching also damaged his lungs. He'd never walked during the day. That's not... Uh, that's one probably factor, true. One factor is far more crucial than the others and that one factor is a smoking cigarettes uh, you know just like with lula having connection to the oil company is far more important than some journalists doing some jo- it's like saying that uh, afghanistan and iraq war ended because of nsa and julian assange work while yeah. in fact it ended because us was just running out of money and they wanted to focus on china or mm-hmm. something i'm sorry but one factor is overwhelmingly more yeah, important yeah. than the other and i agree and i wouldn't disagree and I wouldn't disagree with that. And I like, for example, the Iraq so, war, I didn't say it, it ended because of that, but it could have been more pressure or changed their tactics or their way because of the information that came out about the about the torture and all this. I think where I fall, I'm like, the impact is typically either nothing and even or even supporting the status quo in most cases. Sometimes it could have a little bit of impact, but often by itself, yeah, I don't know if it can change the world. And that Glenn Greenwald from the Brazil Again, example not, is the best example I, I can think of of having a lot of impact. But I'm not disagreeing feel, that there's an environment and there are other factors that affect no, it. But so I, I don't disagree I feel, with you there. You feel I feel like you misrepresent my argument by sort of like <laughs> changing the world. I'm not saying everything should change the yeah. world. But if you look at history, you can establish causalities between certain events and then certain events that followed. With right? some, yeah. And, yeah, it's kind of. And obviously, obviously, all of history is subjective. Some people believe some events were more important. But I genuinely think if you think journalism or media uh, were important in the co- course of uh, events of policies and important historical events, I'm sorry, but that's a delusion. I, I, it's That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying they are not important in your personal life. You can't get joy from them or you shouldn't do them or anything, but don't delude yourself into thinking you're doing something more than anybody else is doing, which is trying to make a living and having a good life rather than, oh, changing the world. Or uh, the idea that, again, the idea that all the president's men led to Nixon's downfall is a fantasy. It's a liberal fantasy. I mean, I don't think I disagree with you, but I think it can sometimes play a little bit of a role and maybe sometimes it doesn't at all so, so yeah, I, I, mean, I disagree. It play a little bit of role, but in I, some I, cases I, it does. Yeah. And these are things that can't be calculated on how you know how public yeah, opinion course, after a while course. affects, like you know, changes on one thing and another. And yeah, there I just think you're just work. a bit Wait. too dismissive. That's that's uh, that's kind of what I'm saying. There is a fantastic work. Sadly, I never see it discussed by. Uh, 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 anybody on the left and I I, I I really wanted to get this guy so we can interview 
So there is this person who, sadly, I never seen him discussed among the left, mm-hmm. but I do think his work is one of the most fantastic work uh, because he mixes empirical and uh, non-empirical methods, and uh, he has a study who was which was first published in 1960s, but then has been republished and updated by him. I really wanted him to to get him for our channel to interview. But sadly, I went on his website and the first thing said on his website was like, I don't do interviews. Really? So I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah. It's, uh, the book is called Who Rules America by uh, research psychologist and sociologist G. William uh, uh, Domhoff. And he, he basically very much builds on the uh, work of C. Wright Mill in many ways. C. Wright, who I think we discussed him before, the, 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 what was the book? Jesus, the elite, the power elite, the power mm-hmm. elite. This is most famous book. He is one of the, I think he's one of the best um, writers. But he, uh, uh, Domhoff is tried to add more of an empirical study. And originally, Domhoff was not necessarily very, uh, very sympathetic to C. Wright Will's views. But as he did the study, he increasingly became. Uh, more uh, sim- uh, sympathetic to him. So I think when you read the studies like that, you increasingly realize the minimal role that me- media and journalism plays. I so. would agree with that. And let's break that study down a bit for next time. If we're down, send it oh, to it's me. A, sure, it's a book and it's been again updated like five times since oh, okay. 1960s. Yeah, so yeah, so he's love a, to check it out and parts I, of it. I, man, that guy, if he could get that. <laughs> well, he said no <laughs> interviews. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. But okay, I mean, I think with this one, you know, I agree. We exhausted I, every. Yeah, every more year. or less. I just. But there's one other topic here that I'd kind of mentioned and we talked about it, but maybe didn't dive into it too much was the classroom activism. I don't know if you have oh, any yeah. appetite for that a little bit. You know, I was thinking of different situations, right? And I was just thinking, let's, okay, in these videos, they did a lot of classroom activism over LGBTQ stuff, right? But let's put that uh, let's put that aside and like think of other examples to see like how far I mean the teacher should should take right like what if it's like war right let's say it was a teacher and it was at the height of the Iraq Afghanistan war and he was like super anti war right and like nonstop that was his kind of thing his agenda everything that happened he kind of related it back to that and I brought up that cause because I mean that's def I mean also LGBTQ. Um, cause of course is a very important cause worth fighting for but i want to take a different one take the war one right what would you make of that and that's something that you know let's say you would support right like especially at that time someone in the u.s being anti-war you're like at that time i'm not sure (laughs) at that time i may have no okay you now like you back (laughs) you back then yeah so what do you think of that and i also have another example for example now this one might be a bit Maybe it's, you know, the level of the issues is nowhere near as close as the LGBTQ and the war one. So maybe it's a bit of apples and oranges. But what if there was like a gym teacher, right? If it's a bit of apples and oranges, let's put it aside, right? My bad. But what if there's a gym teacher and, you know, gym teacher is supposed to like throughout the year kind of make the kids play all kinds of sports, right? Not his favorite, not his or her favorite sport, right? If your favorite sport is volleyball, 
Again, yeah. I know. I, I hope this example is not a bit insensitive. But I just want to look at different examples. Volleyball players, <laughs> or anything, right? And that's all. Yeah. He always just wanted all the kids to always just play volleyball, just because he liked that. So that's the one that he wanted to teach. So I just want to, yeah, I'm just wrapping my head around this classroom activism or other stuff. Let's say the teacher was vegan, something I support, and you know, animal cruelty, big thing on and on just his class and everything and i'm not saying that these people in these libs of tiktok video even did this who knows some of them do give that appearance so yeah what what do you make of that where do you draw the line like even if it's a cause that you 100 agree with like the lgbtq one so very important one in a lot of instances or war another one or my shitty example where do we draw the line like how far is like the teacher's own subjectivity and personality like how much of that should they try to kind of keep in check they, they should try to 100% keep it out of the class except if the student asks they say their opinion and they say that's my opinion but you know there are other people think differently and that's why I'm a teacher of kind I'm teacher to adults so it's not mm, the same yeah. but you know that's what you do because I mean even if not children even with adults or anything or even if in a party when you're not a teacher <laughs> pushing your opinion on people is just never it's preachy and annoying and just like uh so i would say just keep it 100 percent out if somebody asks your personal opinion you tell them and then say it's personal opinion but i must say when it i mean the gym stuff you mentioned that's like is that a bad example no no i mean it's a good example like you can tell like okay he likes volleyball and we get to play volleyball every week and no football or whatever but like when it's history or geography, it's a bit trickier to take to take the politics or mm-hmm. your views out, you know. Like with volleyball, you can tell. Okay, I love volleyball, but I have to limit it to two hours a day because otherwise it's too. But you but, know- but but with politics, like if you're explaining like civil rights in America, like whether you frame USA as a racist country or as a country with some racists in it, like how. Like, you know what I mean? That's by nature. Yeah. Is the, no. However you say it sort of betrays your views. So, Yeah, th- that's true. But I mean, you know, you, you can, you th- that's fine, right? So like you talk about the civil rights and then when you're talking about it, you kind of, in, in, you know, you're of course shaped by your own opinions on it and your subjectivity, right? But what if, no, that's all that you always did in class. You had just civil rights stuff all over the place and that it's not even about like which side you take it's just that like being you know this is something that you like so much and not trying to keep yourself in check and you know trying to do it as like objectively as possible right like i've seen professors teach professors some of them all they do it's about them non-stop i publish this paper let's talk about it this one that's my topic other ones they, they go over the literature and you can clearly tell where and they tell you they're like hey you know I'm really sympathetic to this and they might spend more time on it it's natural but I think there is a way of trying to keep yourself a bit and you should you just shouldn't become an activist or like an advocate for something you just have to I think that's where I would draw the line just try to yeah of course if you're you know if you fall in LGBTQ and stuff you're not going to start saying hateful things toward it you're going to share your opinion but just not turn it into activism and advocacy. What you 
what you're saying is very easy to sort of understand in person or see in person, but to codify what you're saying is mm-hmm. very difficult. So how would you codify that for teachers? You know, no, yeah, teachers, everybody, everybody draws yeah. the line in a different place. Yeah. I remember one of our professors at the university, when we finished with our course, he literally teared up his lecture papers and said, for like everything I told you, throw it out, throw it to the rubbish and read this. I thought, well, that's, you know, that was the most amazing thing and all that. But like a lot of people don't, you know, do that. And they, you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. hard to codify that type of thing. Yeah, codifying is hard. So maybe it's more down to the teachers to know like, okay, this is my thing. This is my big thing. And when it comes up and when it naturally comes up, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, shy away from expressing perhaps even how I feel but I need to be self-aware of this and and this is not I'm not doing activism here I'm not doing advocacy here I have a job here to teach these um, these students yeah I mean again it's easier yeah no I agree with you especially when you're teaching politics or history or geography no don't you agree? I do agree. I do agree. I do agree. But then again, it's like, you know, just trying to like not obsessed over the subject. You know, that's one thing, right? It's like obsessing over the subject. So not just teaching the same thing in geography or like history. No, you know? but, but, but uh, okay. Yeah. No, I gave you an example though. How would you like the civil rights? Would you categorize US as a racist country or would you categorize it as a country with some racist elements in it? You know, however um, you I don't think it's the categorization of- that I'm picking on. It's overwhelmingly talking about that subject and always wanting it to bring it back to that and having that as a centerpiece of your like oh, that's of your course wrong, and yeah. stuff. That's what I'm saying. So yeah, no. Yeah. If you think civil rights just um, shows exactly that the United States is a racist um, country, that's hundred percent fine, and you should say that. But if you spend all of your classes in history only talking about this topic and stuff, that's where it turns into into I would say like advocacy and so the issue isn't isn't the point is your own point of view is just how much you make that as a centerpiece of of your teaching I would say I guess all right all right yeah how much you emphasize yeah. it matters too but okay I think we also <laughs> the exhausted <this laughs> the if anybody has anything to you know say about our, our messed up views uh, I, I feel like because them. of your you because of your provocations we're gonna lose like 10 viewers because of my mad sort of uh, let's see what keep my opinions to myself well I mean you know then what are we gonna do on this show that's good all righty Sam one final point no I'm joking <laughs> yes. so, folks please like and subscribe but okay Sam let's move on to some geopolitics so after talking shit like about an hour about journalism, let me tell you some news about around the world. Yeah, so where'd you get your information? No, there you were clear and you said, you know, you're not saying that journalism doesn't, of course, bring some information to people and all this. It's just what comes from that. Yeah, I, just, I mean, if you, it's for fun. <laughs> I mean, for it's sad, but... So we've got uh, Israelis uh, and Palestinians yeah. clashed in uh, uh, in Jerusalem and all that. And apparently today there's some more clashes. I'm just yeah. reading from five hours ago. This morning there were uh, more clashes in the uh, 
what do you call that Masjid al-Aqsa? What's the English name for that? I forget. Oof, the mosque. I, the, yeah. And, the Al-Aqsa Mosque. I yeah. Guess. And sorry, one one thing since you mentioned, so time of recording here is um, Friday morning. So bear that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. And yeah, everybody on the left were, you know, pointing out the hypocrisy of the difference between the way Russia, for example, when he's treating Ukraine compared to uh, Saudi, compared to Israel uh, attacking Palestinians. But, you know, nobody this time, I think it's just, everybody's just hopeless now. So they're all like, yeah, it's very sad. Uh, what? Yeah, it's very awful. It's very awful. I mean, some of the videos show the police. I mean, there is a famous one where police runs and just hits. Uh, it feels like yeah. a woman with a, baton, with a baton or something. Who was talking about that? Ryan Grimm. Did you hear Ryan him talking about Ro- it? Yeah. 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 I mean, he uh, made Rob an interesting Swab, point. Uh, w- w- which point? Ryan Grimm. It was. A, it's not something major, but he just said like these batons hurt more than they look like. <laughs> more than it looks because he was like they're much heavier than uh, what it looks so like apparently that poor woman from one hit like broke her um got her arm broken if i'm not mistaken or something yeah the guy the soldier is just passing by and he just like as if it's like you know as if like when you're a kid like you walk and you kick a rock like as if it's like a football or something yeah yeah the guy's just like passing by and it's like boom yeah it's this poor lady it's really weird and fucked up. And um, yeah, anyway, but uh, I must say, my dad used to have one of those batons that open up, you know, you oh. go and yeah, yeah, he had them because he lived in a, you know, a villa or something. And then, man, they were so cool though, because <laughs> when you move them, they make the noise that the movies oh, make. That whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. So it was pretty, yeah, I, I had fun. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, it's been awful. And Robbie Suave, by the way, what a bad take he had. Uh, did you see that? He, I think he tried to that. like minimize it as much as he could. But, but hold like, on. Yeah, set, set this up. Set this up because people maybe don't know. But the funny thing is, like, it, it's like a five-minute video. It's mainly Ryan Grimm talking. And I know it's like a very sad piece of news. They were talking about this, but Todd being hit. But it's as if like Robbie Suave, who uh, we kind of, we actually like on this channel. So we're not just trying to say bad stuff about him but like his demeanor was like as if he was hearing about someone's like aunt passing away or something so he was like i don't know this person i feel bad for you but of course i'm gonna you know try to look very sad or things so he was just like so sad and depressed and just like letting ryan Grimm talk and then at the end he got like a few of his takes and opinions going which were to be you know there were a bit so yeah Awful. Yeah, take it from no, here. They, I mean, it was. Well, he said uh, yeah, two it, things. I remember. Yeah, I mean, I remember the main thing. I remember is that he. It, and when you see it unfolding in these places that you know are revered as sacred, it just it just kind of adds an extra layer to it. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's yeah. it's a a hard problem to sort i mean this just goes back to yeah. i mean what do you both sides have a there's been so much violence committed by both sides against each other going back so long that it's impossible to tease out the well you did this because we did this but we did this because you did this but you did this because it, there's so much going back for so long that they can't you can't sort out like who's at fault or who started it i mean obviously police beating unarmed people at a place of worship is 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 the 
the fault is pretty clear <laughs> in that narrow example, right. but they're doing it because there actually were people who, you know, committed violence, and the, well, they did it because it's, how do you sort it out? How do you bring... And the, the good news, if there is any, is that it, it, things have calmed down right. over the last several Didn't days. Didn't spiral into greater right. violence. The last time that there, were, there was unrest in Jerusalem, it led to this 11-day bombing in May of Gaza. And so we, that hasn't happened yet. So let's yeah. hope that that doesn't, yeah. that continues to not happen. I mean, but th this, is, this has been going on a thousand years. I mean, in... You know. mentioned that, yeah, and this conflict, it's such an awful, awful conflict going back thousands of years. Yeah. No, uh, nobody knows said, who has started it. <laughs> nobody knows. Yeah, nobody, no. No, first nobody he said it goes back started. a long time. And I was like in my head thinking, yeah, of course. And, you know, people no, it put doesn't. it to the origin. No, like people put it to like, you know, post-World War II and in that sense. Like it didn't oh, okay. start That's yesterday. And you can perhaps go further back in some other ways. But then, no, two seconds later, he's like, it goes back, like, what, a thousand years? I was like, okay. Now I know, Robbie, we weren't thinking the same. <laughs> we weren't thinking the same thing. Yeah, like, who started it and what is going on? This person does that. That person does that. Yeah, a very bad take. And surprisingly, he uploaded that video to his um, Twitter page. I was like. Uh, his followers probably like that take. Yeah, he's maybe. a libertarian, so. Yeah, but but I would I just like to point out just so everybody is clear on that for majority of history of uh, humanity or the majority of the time that Jew, Judaism and Islam have been around, Judaism and Islam have been living together far more peacefully than Christianity and Judaism, and uh, that largely due to some religious factors and socio-economical factors, there has been a shift in the recent post-World War II world, for some reason, nobody knows. As Robbie says, nobody who started <laughs> this. What happened? Some, yeah, some events. Pretty bad there thing. was a hotel in 1940s or 30s in Palestine. Some shit happened. I mean, it just, yeah, so yeah. funny. That was a but bit of a... Nobody knows. It's so yeah. complicated. Who is starting <laughs> but you know like i mean when you're on the left you get like a crash course in israel palestine like once a year so i think on the left people are just like really yeah, so informed yeah. he comes from a different world you know he comes from the libertarian kind that's of world true. so he hasn't received that mandatory crash course and thankfully we do like every year like you know as soon as something like this horrible happens which happens quite regularly every few years you know whenever they attack gaza and stuff you get norman finkelstein you get x y and z and they take you in such detailed history that you know so when people on the left know so much more about israel palestine than than other causes than other issues that perhaps affect quantitatively more people although i like to argue that the israel palestine does have its uniqueness in some senses but yeah, there are a lot of conflicts out there in the world. But yeah, I mean, I think he needs one of those I crash like courses. Robbie needs one of those I, crash yeah, courses, yeah. that's for sure. Sure, sure. <laughs> Go sure. over some of the basics and <laughs> start. With... Yeah. So here's the Ottoman Empire. You see that? Then, then it's not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with you there that left is yeah very focused on this. I mean, I remember when I was a kid and I don't come from a very lefty family or anything like that necessarily, but 
And the story a lot of us were told was that the Israelis bought the land mm. in, um, in Palestine or Israel or whatever you want to call it. They bought those lands from Arabs and then Arabs were like, like they said, no, the deal is off or something. So that was for a long time of oh, my yeah. life. Yeah. Never, so I assume, yeah, that was one of the like stories because back then Iran was Iranian population when I was growing up was very pro-Israeli. But I remember then, that was the, yeah. that was like the leftovers, right? From like the Shah era. I don't know. I think, and no, I would say there was genuine. I would say there is genuine sort of liking for Israel uh, back then, especially, but it's still to this day. Because really, but early two thousands, I have a feeling like um, perhaps it changed. Um, I think it changed after the 2008, especially after mm. the nuclear stuff, even after the, the Iraq war and Afghanistan war were not too bad for Iran. So, you know, Iran. But that changed that did change some people's opinion towards the United States, though. I mean, at least in some oh, segments yeah, yeah. that I had that I had seen, like before especially they would see the United. Especially as it went on. Yeah. 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 No, United. Yeah, United States for sure. But Israeli took the assassination of the scientists, I feel, mm -hmm. because of the common enemy, because we always view the, you know, the Iran's main enemy are the Arab nations. I mean, like that's, and Turkey to an extent. Israel is more like a, you know, marketing ploy <laughs> to get, you know, to get, in. it's generally, it's more of an international marketing ploy. In Iran, it's for a lot of countries. Thing. I mean, you know, yeah. for, you can say that for so many of the Arab Arab no, nations. No, but, but, but for Arab nations, it's marketing ploy internally. For mm -hmm. Iran, it's a marketing ploy Good internationally. Point. I think I agree I with think. that. I, I think I agree with that, yeah. And because among Arab populations, of course, there's huge support for Palestinians. But then when you look at the behavior of Arab country leaders, I'm sure I, I don't need to name any examples. It's yeah, very it's obvious not, in people's no. head. It doesn't really support but, but, their rhetoric but, or how the or how the population um, feel. And then on the other hand, in Iran, you have these leaders who are very like supportive rhetorically and somewhat like in a real political sense, the population just does not care. It's just, it's not an issue. Like it's not even top 10 or 15 issues in Iran. It genuinely isn't. It's just, nobody cares about it. Like even the hardcore people who are supportive of the yeah. thing, they when the day of the parade is on, they remember but then after it's yeah. not it's but not it's far less connected you know like palestinian refugees it went is, to I jordan agree. palestinian refugees yeah, yeah. went to lebanon they went to syria and now they kind of grew up in these dual cultures and environments so there i mean you know it's just so much more palestine exactly. israel in like the middle east and stuff among normal people even apolitical people with other things like this is usually something they immediately on the side of the palestinians yeah. of course and they all know palestinians or even themselves are palestinian but lived in different countries for decades no hundred the linguistic thing is also yeah, a factor yeah. like afghanistan uh, mm -hmm. is far more like afghanistan issues are far more discussed or at least they seem far more prominent in iran than uh, uh, Palestinian issues yeah, because there's a linguistic you know thing it's easier to get the information but I would even say even Caucasus Iranians far pay far more to atten uh, far much more attention to Caucasus than uh, you know Palestine I think. Mm. would that have to do also historical to a certain sense Russians Caucasus 
I, I, I think so. it's historical and also because uh, there is, again, there is more connection with Turkic community than with mm-hmm. the, you know, Palestinian. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. half of the, not half, I would say 90% of Tehran are like you have some Turkish blood in them. Hundred so, yeah, percent. Yeah, it's like. I mean, in know, Tehran, you never hear anybody like I never did going around hearing them speaking Arabic, unless maybe they're reading the Quran or something religious. But I mean, Turkish. I mean, you hear all the time. everywhere. Yeah. I mean, Iranian. Yeah. I've asked you this question before, but the Iranian version in Turkey, the Turkish of Iranian version is a bit different, right? The, the, yeah, and depending on which city in Iran you mm. come from, it's a completely different dialect. Like some people that speak Turkey from Kermanshah mm-hmm. cannot understand people who speak Turkish from uh, like Tabriz, okay. another city, you know, and, and then the nomadic Turkic is completely different from city Turkic. So, yeah, it's very, very yeah, fragmented. But uh, sorry, I just yeah, but we managed to connect the story of Palestine to Iran. Has we just made everything about us. <laughs> <laughs> we were getting closer and closer. Like my next step was to talk about Iranian grocery stores and how they speak Turkish. So it's like getting more and more. We're so self-centered. Let's move on to Pakistan, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, fair enough. And then I'll co- I have some stories about Iran. Or if you want, go back. No, if you want, continue with Iran. Up to. Should I continue? Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think it's a good segue to Iran. But I have to find a, a story. Sorry, I had the link. Just so there's a. As you know, uh, Iraq is uh, another Shia uh, major. Uh, sorry. Shia majority are they Shia majority? Sorry, they are Shia majority. Yeah, yes, just Um, by uh, like it's not like Iran. Yeah, I'm looking up five percent. Oh yeah, Shia. It's about sixty to forty, I think, if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken. Yeah, I'm just trying to see if Wikipedia. I thought uh, I say this because this is like part. Of, I, I'm very fascinated by Shia religion as a whole. Obviously, interesting. My cultural background, but also because it's a. In my view, it shares a lot with Protestantism, and it's it's a fascinating religion to look at at the way capitalism and all that works. But anyway, uh, Shiaism is very different from Sunni or like it's. I say it's like Protestantism because it's very fragmented. Mm-hmm. And, and sorry I could i interrupt you for a split yeah. second and yeah no definitely i really like hearing you discuss that always i just want to say i just saw on wikipedia that so out of the 24 million arabs in 2015 14 million were considered shia so yeah so like let's say about 60, 60. yeah 60 65 percent yeah sorry continue yeah, no, yeah. The sa- south of Iraq is mostly Shia. The north of Iraq is mostly Sunni and Kurdish. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, but in there is a, there is a, as I said, there is a lot of fragmentation within Shia religion, and uh, I mean this is very much inherent in Shia religion because it's very much based on uh, having a marja, which is a pole quite literally a pole. So somebody you follow, mm-hmm. that somebody you use as a sort of a reference point or something. It's actually, Marja is literally a reference point in Arabic, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. But um, the story I'm bringing today is about a new character called Mahmoud al-Sarhi. Fascinating character. 
Mahmoud El-Sarkhi is a Shia Marja. So he's one of these referencing points. This is the highest ranking position you can get in Shiaism, which you become, uh, not only you're independent in your interpretation of Islam, other people are allowed to follow you, mm. right? So you basically write a PhD, which proves that you know Islam, you know, uh, sort of in a very, like you're an authority mm-hmm. on Islam. And this guy's uh, uh, forces attacked Iranian um, Iranian uh, embassy and consulate in Iraq and burned it to the ground. Oh. So in Karbala, which is a holy city in Iran. This was according to Al Jazeera and others. So there is increasing Shia on Shia conflict in Iraq. And Mahmoud al-Surhi is viewed as one of the really hardcore Puritan Shias. So he's against, for example, uh, in, uh, I don't know if you know this, but in Islam, in Sunni Islam, in traditional Islam, you're not allowed to have graveyards for people because it's considered form of an idol worship. And Islam's really? big thing, yeah, yeah, like there is no, like there is no, we don't know where Muhammad, uh, Prophet Muhammad is buried. There is the, there is the cemetery. They yeah. know he's buried in that cemetery, but they don't know where exactly. And man, Sony, Saudi Arabian government, when they came to power, they destroyed many tombs of Shia, mm-hmm. uh, Shia imams or saints or whatever they are. They destroyed them in Iraq. They destroyed them in Saudi. There's a parking lot in one of, instead of one of the... It's very sad. It's very sad. I think it's uh, Imam... Not that I'm religious. Yeah, no, historically. historically yeah. Historically, it was a fascinating building and all that. But uh, so, uh, yeah, in Sunni Islam, that's the rule. And this guy, Mahmoud al-Sarkhi, Shiaism. Shiaism, that's what I mean. It's like Protestantism. You can get the most Puritan version of Islam. You also can get the most hippy-dippy sort of Unitarian, mm-hmm. sort of everything is love, you know, version of Islam as well, which is basically Baha'i, basically. <laughs> if anyone's familiar. But uh, uh, so they, 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 uh, they, uh, they oppose sort of having tombs for imams and they attack the Iranian consulate and they are sort of mixing Shiaism with a sort of Iraqi nationalism. Mm which I found very fascinating. And I'm going to, and uh, listen to, this is the, one of the most fascinating thing in 2019, like uh, in Karbala is the place where a uh, most important figure in Shizan was murdered or was killed. And there's that ceremony where people self-flagellate and hit themselves with chains and all that, you know, and he, his uh, group of supporters, they started doing a rap version of that. You know, you've seen that, you, you know, what I'm, like they sing these morning songs and people sort of yeah. uh, hit themselves with the rhythm. And they've started doing a rap version based on like American rap and all that. And uh, it's become famous as a Hosseini rap in Iraq. <laughs> Hussein is the guy who gets martyred. So, you know, I just wanted to highlight that even though, you know, people seem to view the Shia word or Iran influence as this, uniform influence Iraq uh, across Middle East. In fact, within the Shia camp, there is a lot of, uh, you know, uh, conflict and there is this, you know, uh, Shia Iraqi nationalists that are, they want to separate themselves from Iran and all that. 
So, which, you know, I, I which makes this. I mean, which makes complete sense. I mean, you know, that's like a caricature that that we draw an extent that the Shia Sunni thing. I mean, not to, to a large extent, right? To a large extent, all things there as as perhaps the theme of this episode, there are many factors <laughs> and different forces and different social and cultural things that all come, come into play. And so by, in that by sense, way- it's not, it's not um, surprising. I had one or two things I wanted to say to you, Anas. Sure. Before that, I just wanted to say that sort of highlighted to me something else that is not covered so much anywhere, that in Iran, it's like fascinating, the most repressed religious sects or religious groups or groups are actually Shia groups, hmm. the minority Shia groups. They are far more repressed oh, okay. than so Christians or Jews or Sunnis or Zoroastrians. So these are like uh, a particular sect within Shiaism, yeah. you're saying? Yeah, okay, yeah. 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 They are viewed as the most, like they, mm-hmm. they, they, like, man, whenever there's a police clash with them, people fucking die mm. like you know like it's the other one like you know it's not like like that you know we celebrate easter in iran we celebrate christmas jewish holidays are celebrated in a iranian state television all of that but like if you're from a different sect of shia you're pretty much you're invisible like right. even like I, godless people like me are <laughs> have more like you know freedoms because you know they are viewed as the biggest threats today mm-hmm. because i think because they are more organized you know uh, and there is I, I mean, and i guess i think because they are willing to go the furthest for their mm-hmm. belief you know because jewish people christian people Zoroastrian people in iran they're all pretty middle class and you know everybody's pretty cafeteria at this mm. like nobody's gonna do anything about anything like let's chill out guys yeah let's talk about something <laughs> you know but those guys they might do stuff so i i i'm yeah it's it's a dynamic that fascinates me no that is that is very interesting but again it's the complex complexities of society that really exist everywhere but whenever you have this caricature look from the media from on top you're like oh this like that but yeah there's usually like all these kind of you know like it's i mean another example kind of like that this always in iran iran like i've seen i'm not looking at just my socioeconomical class like i was looking in tehran and other socioeconomical classes far less religious people than i than i think in other arab muslim countries like far less from all of them like you know and also when i lived in other countries right and there were a lot of um Muslims from different backgrounds I mean for sure if you would like line up two of them Iranians and the other ones from other places I would be willing to bet anything that the two Iranians are most likely the least religious part and then I saw also from other regions of Iran people coming and they were also equally non-religious whereas the Arabs or East Asian ones they would be far more religious or like practice Ramadan and pray Although there is also, again, everything's complicated, the sociocultural part of where Iranian New Year is different from like Ramadan. So it's not that kind of celebration. Whereas in Arab countries, it's kind of blending, you know, it's New Year and it's Ramadan. So maybe that makes it more significant. But I think that if someone told me that from outsider who didn't know about Iran, I'd be shocked. I would think Iran has the most religious. And I mean, I've seen people from all kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds, like, taxi drivers drinking tea in the middle of the street 
I mean, you go to another yeah, Arab during country. Ramadan. Yeah, during Ramadan. You go to an other, other Arab country. Maybe I'm being unfair and I haven't seen it, but I would highly doubt that kind of stuff would Man, be going I, on. I remember during Ramadan, I, I broke breakfast constantly in Iran. Nothing. I see people break fast constantly. Nothing happens. It happens in an Arabic country. Not police. Some one of the people comes mm-hmm. up to you and says, "What are you doing? What what is this? Like what is this nonsense?" Yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, no, I, I definitely. I mean, I traveled a lot uh, across Iran. In fact, Tehran is relatively one of the more conservative places. <laughs> like for example, when you go to rural areas, because for example, all the schools are uh, in. Te- there, there is no segregation between girls and boys, especially on lower mm-hmm. ages, because there is not enough teachers and. Yeah. It's just not as much governmental control. They have, you could argue, but I wouldn't call Iranians not necessary. Iranians are all deists, I mm. would say. They all seem to believe in the one God yeah. sort of thing, but they, they don't sort of really go for, like everybody's a specific religious thing is very dependent on their location. It's very fragmented. Mm. That's the best way I can put it. Because then you go to cities that, uh, 